This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. today. Um, If I can be honest with you, I probably haven't felt this confident about a word being for a certain body of believers like I have today in a long time. I'm confident that the Lord has sent me here on assignment, and part of me hasn't wanted to preach this. I mean, it'd be okay to come in here and shout today and and rejoice and, you know, have a good time and go run, you know, all that stuff. And and maybe we can get to do that today. I I want us to participate today in in the Word of God. Um, But I really feel an urgency in my heart to share this. And it's one of those things that when God directs you somewhere, it's like, Lord, it, it only has to be you. Because I wouldn't have looked at this account. I wouldn't have looked at this passage of Scripture. And if I can be honest with you, this passage of Scripture was recalled to my mind one night when Tommy and I were doing devotions. And I'm going to be real transparent here. As we were doing tra- uh, we were doing devotions, and Tommy starts reading this book. And, like, I was irritated because I didn't want to read this book for devotion. Like, I just wanted to read some Scripture and, you know, go on. And, and Tommy felt like we were supposed to read out of this book. So I'm, like, here, and I'm laying on the floor while he's reading and the Lord just started gripping my heart. And, and so I repented because of my attitude. And I was like, Lord, I see what you're speaking here. I see what you want me to see. And so I've got I've to share that with your people. And so the, I kind of have a lengthy introduction before I get into the scripture. But I think it's important for us to know the story here. In all of my years in church and all the sermons that I've ever heard, I've heard a lot of sermons about King David. We know that David is a man after God's own heart, that David, uh, he was chased by Saul. And and just the storyline of David's life, how he was the shepherd boy, but he was chosen by God. And he had to go through this process. And we've heard a lot of stories about David. But I can't really recall too many sermons that I've heard on King Saul. And I know that we refer to Saul a lot when we are uh, talking about David running from him. But I really want us to look at the life of Saul today. Because Saul was Israel's first king. And did you know that Israel was never supposed to have a king other than God? It was never God's intention to give them a man to rule over them because God was their king. But the people kept pressing and they kept saying, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be like the other people. We want a man to lead us and rule over us. We've had judges, but that hasn't been enough for us. And I'm always puzzled when God's people want to be like the rest of the world. We are so we're not created to be like the rest of the world. We are chosen. We are set apart. We are different for a reason. But the Israelites, they wanted a king. They wanted to be like everybody else. And Samuel was grieved over this because Samuel was the prophet of the Lord, and he knew that God was enough, and they needed to follow God. And so he was grieved, and he was praying. And and the Lord just told Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. You're grieving and you're mourning, but, but listen, you've got to give them a king. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. And so Samuel's obedient to the Lord, and Samuel even gives them a word from the Lord, and it was this, that when that day comes, you will beg for relief from the king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. Samuel told them, the, the king that you're going to get, he's going to take your stuff. He's going to take your people. It's not going to be a good thing. But yet again, these people thought they knew what they wanted. And so they asked for a king. And if we look in the next chapter in 1 Samuel, we read about a man named Kish. And Kish has this son named Saul. And the scripture says that he was handsome and he was tall. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. And it's kind of a funny story that, or funny in a way that God can use such simple things to bring about his plans. Because what happened was, is Kish's donkeys ran away. And so Saul and his servant had to go looking for these donkeys. And while they were looking for the donkeys, they were having no success whatsoever. And so Samuel, or Saul's servant said, 
we need to go find the seer or an Old Testament term for prophet. And so they go find the prophet, and they were confident that the prophet would tell them where the donkeys were at. But the Lord had already been working, and in, in verse 15 and 16 it says, About this time tomorrow, speaking to Samuel, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard your cry. So this is evidence that God was working on both sides here. Here these, here these guys were. They were looking for some donkeys, and they were going to go to the man of God so he could tell them where the donkeys were at. And the Lord had already told Samuel that there were some people that were coming and that he was going to anoint one of those men to be king. So the Lord was working on both sides. And I just want to encourage you today that the Lord is working even if it's in mysterious ways. Because if he can use some guys losing some donkeys to bring about his plan to anoint a king, he can do anything in your life and use anything and anybody to get you to the right place at the right time to fulfill his purpose and his plan. So just as it happens, or just as it said, it was, it was happening for them. They went and they met Samuel, and, and Samuel anointed Saul to be king. And so they meet, they eat, they converse. Um, and then Samuel gives some instruction when he anoints Saul. So in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel anoints Saul, and he gives him these instructions. And he tells him when he gets to Gibeah that he's going to prophesy, and he's going to be like a different person. And then when he leaves Gibeah, he's going to go to Gilgal, and Samuel was going to join him in Gilgal, and that Samuel was going to instruct Saul, and they were going to offer sacrifices together. And it's so interesting in the story because in verse 9, it says that after this encounter, that God gave Samuel a new heart, or Saul a new heart, and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled. Y'all bear with me. We got two S names, and I'm confusing them today. So, so correct me if I say the or yeah, correct me if I say the wrong one. But there was confirmation all throughout this journey. Uh, Saul went forward. He did the things that Samuel told him to do. He prophesied. He was like a different man. He met Samuel. They offered sacrifices uh, to the Lord. But I find it so interesting that even in this magnificent way that God just brings everything together and fulfills His word. That halfway through chapter 10, we see some insecurity and we see some self-doubt already rising in Saul before he's really appointed to be king. Because Samuel did, and he, he went and did the due process, and he brought the people uh, before the Lord, and he cast a lot, and the lot fell on the tribe of Benjamin, and it was Saul that was selected. But see, Saul was already anointed before he was appointed in his position. And now that could be a whole different sermon for a whole different day, anointed before you're already appointed. He was already anointed. He already saw God move. He already was anointed by the prophet. But Saul decides to go hide when it's time for everybody to come before the assembly and before the Lord. And they find Saul in the baggage. They find Saul hiding. This tall guy is hiding, and he's afraid of the position that he has been chosen for. But Samuel declares Saul before the people as king, anoints him, appoints him, and he's king. So some of the people say, long live the king. The other people, uh, they were not so happy about the king that was appointed. But that is just even scriptural evidence that you cannot please everybody. And the church said, amen. You can't please everybody. And so there were some mixed feelings there. And Samuel writes out the duties of Saul and the king. The people go home. And that's the end of that chapter. But in chapter 11, we see Saul's first victory as king when he slew the Ammonites. He defeated the Ammonites. That was He hadn't been king too long, so that he had a victory under his belt. And then in chapter 12, Samuel addresses Israel. And where I want us to pick up in our text today is found in chapter 13. If you'll just stand with me for the reading of God's word. First Samuel chapter 13. And this is in the New Living Translation. And it says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. Saul selected 3,000 special troops from the army of Israel and sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. The other 1,000 went with Saul's son Jonathan to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. 
The news spread quickly among the Philistines, so Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this, rise up and revolt. All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Geba, and the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. And just as Saul was finishing the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, What is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Father, today we thank you for your word. Lord, and we thank you for what your word is going to speak to us today. God, what it's going to point out even in our own hearts and in, even in our own lives. And God, I thank you that your word is just going to draw us into yourself today. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was with God. And Lord, we want to have an encounter with the word today. I pray, God, that you would anoint this message, God, with a special anointing, that I would not utter my own words, my own thoughts, or my own, own opinions. But God, that you would speak through me clearly and concisely. God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that you would just draw them to yourself today. God, that they would just encounter you. Lord, that they would hear your word, receive your word, and act upon your word today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So up until this point, we see that Saul has had an okay start. He's experienced a little bit of victory. We've only seen just a little bit of insecurity when he was hiding, when he was going to be appointed to be king. Uh, so everything's been okay so far. All in all, it's, it's just okay. And now they're facing their biggest enemy thus far under Saul's reign. I mean, Saul's still pretty new at this thing. He had only been king a few years, and now his men had gone and provoked the Philistines, and so the Philistines are coming up against Saul and his men. And so the pressure is on. The, the enemies provoke, the pressure's on, and they've got to deal with this situation. And I want to really focus in today on what Saul's response was to this pressure and to this situation. So the title of this message today is simply God's Way. So let's look at part of Saul's response when he was addressing his disobedience in this matter. He said, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. I felt compelled. And so I want to base the message today around this thesis. Because Saul did what he felt, he forfeited what was intended, and he set himself up for future failure. So because Saul did what he felt, he forfeited what was intended, and he set himself up for future failure. So let's talk about what Saul felt first. Saul felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Saul did what he felt instead of what he was supposed to do. And you've got to see here that Saul was not authorized to offer up a sacrifice before God. Uh, this was a, a duty that was given to the priest to do. And in some cases, we see um, where 
kings were instructed to give offering unto the Lord. We see that in the life of David. But here Saul had no authority and he had no instruction to offer anything before the Lord. And so some commentators say here that Saul himself offered this offering. And some would say that Saul, along with the priest Ahiah, offered this offering. But regardless, it was not necessarily so much about the sacrifices and the offerings here as much as what it was that Saul was obedient to the word of the Lord through Samuel. And so we have to understand here that Saul broke the orders from Samuel. And you may may think that, well, that's just some guy telling Saul what he thinks he should do. Well, not exactly. Because in the Old Testament, things were different. In the Old Testament, the prophets of the Lord, they were the representation of God here on the earth. And so when the prophet spoke something, whether it was foretelling an event, whether it was giving correction or instruction or rebuke, whatever the prophet spoke, they were not speaking it in their own name or in their own authority. Rather, they were speaking on behalf of God. And so when Samuel spoke to Saul, he was not speaking in his own authority. He was speaking in the authority of God. And so it wasn't that Saul disobeyed Samuel, it was that Saul disobeyed God. And what we have to understand here was that it was different in the, New, or in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. See, in the Old Testament, when people went against God and what he said, the Lord just swallowed them up. There were times when the earth just opened up, people were swallowed up. He would send fire, people would be killed because of their disobedience to God. And I believe that it wasn't, Saul's direct intention to be deliberately disobedient to God but the reality of it is is that Saul was under pressure he was under pressure that he hadn't felt before he hadn't had this role as king too long he hadn't been up in a a big battle as king yet and so there was a lot of pressure on Saul and I think that we all know what it's like to be under pressure when we're facing life situations and it's just, it feels like we're, we're being pressed from every side, where we're overwhelmed, we're stressed out, we're perplexed, we don't, we don't know uh, what, what we should do or the right answers, or we, don't, we just don't know sometimes. There's so much pressure, we don't know where to begin to deal with the problems that we are facing. But I'm thankful that the Apostle Paul said this, we are pressed on every side. So when there's pressure and we're pressed on every side by troubles, Thankfully, in the pressure, we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but even when we get knocked down, we are not destroyed. So pressure is real. Pressure is a part of life. Pressure comes when we're dealing with things that we've never dealt with before and things that we are used to dealing with. Pressure comes in all different forms. The pressure you may feel may be from all those dishes you have in the sink and all the laundry that's piled up. And you know Monday morning's coming, and unless you get the laundry done, you're not going to have nothing to wear. But you know you're not going to get home till like 8 o'clock tonight because you got a whole bunch of stuff to do. And, and, you know, the list just piles up, and you're just constantly under pressure. Is anybody in here today under pressure? I will be the first to lift up my hand as being under pressure. We have responsibilities, we have demands, we have things that we have to do. And Saul was under pressure because he was leading a whole bunch of people. If you ever want to experience another level of pressure, start leading people. Because the people under you, you're responsible for them. And so you're responsible for the decisions that they make, you're responsible for looking out for them, you're responsible in a whole different aspect of responsibility. So Saul was feeling a whole lot of pressure, and the the pressure was real. We're not going to discount that. In your life and in my life, the pressure is real, and that's something that we have to deal with. Even in verse 6, it says, The men of Israel saw what a tight spot that they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy. Anybody ever been hard-pressed by the enemy? Seems like from every side you've got attacks. But I'm thankful today that if we resist the devil, he will flee. The enemy has no hold on us today. Since they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in cisterns. So here we see that Saul's men are not just fearful, they're very fearful. They're leaving him, they're going anywhere that they can. I mean, they're hiding in rocks, they're hiding in, in bushes, they're hiding wherever they can. And the next verse tells us that they were even fleeing. They crossed the Jordan, they were escaping into the land of Gad, into the land of Gilead. So not only were Saul's men fearful and hiding, but the men were leaving. 
So Saul's army that might have been a certain size at one point that might could have taken the Philistines is probably impossible looking now because if the men fighting in your army are gone, you have no army. So Saul's probably starting to panic inside. But if we look here at the response of the people and their fear in them fleeing, it shows that they did not have confidence in God and they did not have confidence in Saul's leadership. And can I tell you the way that you respond to troubles, the way that you respond to things in your life, whether you're fearful and hide or run, the the way that you respond to leaders, it will show your character. The way that you respond will show what is on the inside of you. And so I want all of us to learn how to respond to circumstances and to leaders in a way that shows that we have confidence in them and in God. Amen? Because, hey, we're in this thing together. And if we can be confident together and we can march forward together and when the enemy comes in, we don't scatter, but we unite, we will be a mighty force for the Lord today. So their actions displayed they didn't have confidence in God or in Saul's leadership. This was a young army, and they were already lacking compared to the larger Philistines. They were losing more men. It looked bleak. It looked hopeless. And Saul had some direct instruction here from Samuel to wait seven days for him to come. Seven days, we're going to consult God. In seven days, we're going to offer up a sacrifice. We're going to make sure that we have God's blessing going into this battle. But because of the urgency of the situation, Saul had already waited for six days. I mean, that's, that's a long time. I, I, we get a lot done in a week, right? I mean, you probably work at your job five days during the week. You went somewhere yesterday. Somebody went to the zoo. So, you know, you go to the zoo. You go to work. You, you, you cram all of these things into the week, right? So six days is a long time. That's a lot of hours. That's a lot of time just to be waiting on somebody. I mean, I get mad when Tommy makes me wait for five minutes. So, I mean, if you're waiting on something that is serious, y'all can laugh. It's okay. If, if it's something serious and you know you've got to make a decision and you know you've got to do something because your men are bailing out on you and if you don't do something, you know you're going to be defeated. Again, that pressure is on Samuel and, or on Saul and he's already waited for Samuel for six days. He's already been waiting. And so Saul decides that Samuel's apparently not coming. Even though if we look back to when Saul was anointed to be king, remember Samuel said, hey, Seven days, I'm going to come to you at Gilgal, and we're going to offer sacrifices. Now, I'm going to give you instruction. So this was already a pattern. Maybe they had done it more than once, but it had already happened before, just as the prophet had told him. But in the middle of the pressure, Saul forgot what the prophet said. And because he forgot, he didn't have confidence in what he said. He forgot the past experience where the man of God was faithful and came through, and he decided he was just going to have to intervene in his own self. And can I tell you, we need to remember the faithfulness of God today. We need to remember that when God has told us something in the past that he came through and he was faithful for us. And sometimes we have to wait on God a little bit longer than what we want. Waiting on God is difficult, especially when you know you have to go before the people and give something to them. Especially when you know the pressures of life are caving in. And if you do not make the right decision, other people around you are going to be affected by it. But we got to remember the, the faithfulness of God. we got to remember how he came through and he showed up for us. So six whole days, but, they, or, but Saul was crumbling under the pressure. And he became impatient with the rest of the people because it was urgent. And it was something that had to be done. Something had to be done about this circumstance. And I read this in a book not long ago. And this quote has just really changed my perspective on some things. And it says that impatience is often disguised as urgency. See, there was already an appointed time that God was going to give Saul the instructions. He was going to give Saul the battle plan. And his presence was going to be there with Saul when they offered up the sacrifices before God. But because impatience had disguised itself as urgency, it was a real urgent situation. And so Saul just couldn't wait. And in our own lives, we need to be careful to discern the things in our lives and recognize what is impatience and what is urgency. There are things that God will place in our spirit that it's urgent for us to do it. And then sometimes God will show us things that we need to do that there's an appointed time for, but because we are so impatient to want to see it happen, 
that we mistake it for urgency and we force something ahead of God's timing. And God cannot bless to the extent that he wants to bless whatever it is because you ran ahead for him. Maybe that's just a word for somebody here today. Wait on the Lord. If he's given you instruction, if he's shown you something to do, don't think that you have to make it happen. The Lord will show up. He'll give you the instructions. He'll order your steps. He'll bring it all about. Don't force it. But those things that are urgent in your spirit that you know that you have to do and you know that it's God's will, you need to get your running shoes on. You need to get your Nikes on. And you need to go forward and do everything that God's called you to do. Amen? Amen. So in this moment of urgency, Saul forgot the past faithfulness of Samuel and of God. It was at Gilgal. It was the same place. It was all familiar. But Samuel offered the sacrifice. He took it into his own hands to try to go before God to get his blessing, to get his plan for this battle. And even in this, it's, it's so interesting that Scripture says as soon as Saul offered the sacrifice before God, as soon as Saul did what he knew that he was not supposed to do, here comes Samuel. Now, if I know, think about it as a kid, if I knew that I wasn't supposed to have the candy, but I grabbed the candy, and as soon as I grabbed the candy, my mom walks in, and I'm busted. You know that, that feeling that you have in your gut, like, oh, no, I have been found out. I have messed up. I know that it was wrong. I know that this is simple, but y'all can get on board. It's okay. Loosen up. You can smile. You can clap. You can whatever. You know, we're family here today. But you know that feeling when you've been found out. You know that feeling when you've disappointed somebody and you've, you've gone against instruction. And Sam, or Saul knew that he had done wrong, but, you know, he tried to smooth talk a little bit and just say, you know, you, you hadn't come. Here's an excuse. You, I didn't know if you were coming or not. I didn't know if you got lost. didn't know if maybe something happened to you because, you know, we have excuses of why we do what we do. But Samuel just wanted to know what Saul had done because he knew that there was going to be consequence to Saul's actions. He did what he felt he was supposed to do, even though that's not what he was instructed to do. And because he did what he felt, God rejected Saul as king. There's no excuses today for disobedience. Like I said, this was Old Testament times, and these people would get killed. They'd get, they'd get swallowed up by the earth. And I know that we live in a day of grace. We're not under the law anymore, thank God. But there are still consequences to our actions, whether they are good or bad. There are still things that we have to deal with because of the decisions that we make. And so here he was dealing with the result of his decision, and that was that God had rejected him as king. And I think that one of the biggest things as believers that we need to know today is that we do not need to be moved by our feelings, persuaded by our feelings. We don't need to lead by our feelings or what we feel. And I know that a lot of well-meaning people say, well, just go by how you feel. Just follow your heart. Well, here in Scripture, this is evidence that you cannot do that. Why? Well, in Scripture, in Jeremiah 17 and 9, it tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can understand it? That's why we're told to guard our heart above everything. Guard your heart because everything in your life flows from it. And so if we're constantly pressured by life, if we're constantly uh, pressured by people and trying to meet up to their expectations and we're going through trials and tribulations and we know that in this life that we would have tribulation because even Jesus told his disciples in this world, you will have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So we've got all these pressures, we've got all these things, and we cannot be moved by how we feel because the circumstances that make us feel that way are going to change in a few minutes anyway. Feelings are fleeting. Feelings come and go. They change. Our perspectives change. And that's why we cannot base our life and how we live our life and how we are led in life by what we feel because it's fleeting. But today, I want to let you know that you can base your decisions. You can base the way that you live and the way that you lead by what is fixed. And what is fixed is the word of God. Scripture says that the grass will wither and the flower will fade. But the word of our God, it stands forever. It is forever settled in the heavens. It is a firm foundation 
foundation in which we can stand upon the day. And the word is never changing. So if you base your life on the word, you don't have to wonder if you've made a mistake. You don't have to wonder if you're relevant. All that matters is that the word is true and you have established your life on truth. And because you've established your life on truth, you're going to go wherever it is that God has intended for you to go. You're going to do whatever it is that God has intended for you to do. You're going to get to every destination. You're going to do every work. You're not going to leave this world uh, not accomplishing what God has intended for you. But if you fix your life on the word and you obey God, there's no telling where he'll take you. So don't follow your feelings. Follow the word. Follow the voice of God. He is a God that speaks. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, and we know his voice. We know his voice. The shepherd speaks to us. We need to go by what he's saying and obey even when it's difficult. Because obedience in in my past experiences, usually obedience is not something that's fun. It is not something that's easy. And most of the time it's something that is costly and it is sacrificial. So we've got to learn to obey God. And sometimes we let fear hold us back. Sometimes we let the opinion of other people hold us back. Sometimes we just let little things hold us back. But if we just step back and realize who we are in Christ Jesus, does anybody know who you are in Christ Jesus in this place today? That you are mighty? That the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the grave is on the inside of you? Greater is he that is in you? We know we're Pentecostal people. We are church people. We know these scriptures. We know these verses. And we've got to start acting like it and living like the power of God really does live on the inside of us. So fear, you have no place. Kick it out the door. Insecurities, you have no place. Kick it out the door because I am who the I am says I am. You have no place. We need to start kicking this stuff out of our way because insecurities will make you feel some type of way. Other people's opinions will make you feel some type of way. The pressures of life will make you feel some type of way. But you kick it to the side and say, I know who I'm listening to. I know the one that leads me. He will never lead me wrong. He'll never lead me astray. When I'm in the valley, he'll lead me. When I'm on the mountain, he'll lead me. When I'm under pressure, he'll lead me. When I'm trying to please people, he'll lead me to be bold in the face of them. Come on, somebody. He'll lead us. So don't go by how you feel. Don't go by how you feel because tomorrow you'll feel a different way anyway. We can't be double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We've got to be stable in Christ Jesus. All right, so he did what he felt, and because he did what he felt, he forfeited what was intended. Verse 13 and 14, it says, How foolish Samuel exclaimed, You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, Here's the key. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But your kingdom must end. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So what Saul forfeited here was his kingdom being established. Saul was the first king. He had the ability to set the standard. He had the ability to be the one that everybody after him looked up to, that they wanted to measure up, even though it would be really hard because he was super tall, right? Just just a joke. Make sure y'all are are alive. Again, you can laugh. (laughs) Ha ha. Okay. But he could have been the example. He could have been a righteous king. He could have been one that was so careful because he knew he was the first one. So if he messed up, everybody was going to remember that. I mean, you don't really remember if, like, the 43rd king messed up, but you definitely remember if the first king messed up. You probably remember the last president if he messed up or the first president if he messed up or did good. You remember the first and the last, typically. So he was his first king who'd always had a legacy that would follow him, but his legacy was not a good legacy. His legacy, in fact, was not established and continued as it was intended. But because Saul did what he felt, and he acted under pressure. He didn't have time to count the cost of his actions. And again, like I already said, there are consequences to every action or inaction that we make. And so he didn't count the cost of what what the result would be of him not obeying God. Because in the moment of the decision, in the moment of the pressure, you're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about anything but what's right there in front of you in the now and how you can fix now and how you can make it better in the now. 
But church, we've got to be mindful of the future in our now. We need to be mindful that the decisions we make can affect our future. See, Saul's kingdom was not established forever, so that not only affected him, that affected his sons. His sons were going to be kings. His sons were going to live in the palace. His sons were going to be wealthy. His sons were going to live it up. But because Saul did wrong, his sons never got to experience them walking in the place and position of king. In fact, his sons were killed in the same battle that Saul was killed in. He would have no legacy. He would have no royal heirs. Once Saul was done, he was done, and God had moved on to the next one. So what was supposed to begin with him just ended with him. And then the Lord chose someone else, and that was a man after his own heart. And we all know that man to be David. And I just want to tell you today that there will always be a David for your disobedience. Somebody that God will raise up to do what you would not do. Somebody that will be righteous. Somebody that will follow God. Somebody that will follow him even when they mess up and just have a heart of repentance and go to him. Saul and David were like polar opposites. Saul always shifted the blame. Saul was always a people pleaser, but David was one that knew that above all else, he had to honor God and he had to please God. Saul could have been the one that was after God's heart. Remember, God even gave Saul a new heart when he appointed him and he anointed him, but apparently Saul did not guard that heart that was given to him. There will always be a David that God raises up. God intends to use us. And he wants to use us in his plan of redemption in humanity. But I think that sometimes we get the idea that we're irreplaceable. That no one can do it like we do it. No one can do it better. You know, we just, we get in the routine of doing stuff. I'm sure that Saul thought he was doing pretty good for a king because we can never really evaluate ourselves effectively. But I think if we will just stay in a place of humility before the Lord and having him search us and having him reveal to us the things that are in us and just being real with God, that God is able to show us our places of disobedience and shortcomings so that we can change. Because Saul continued to blow it for the rest of his life, and we'll get into that in just a minute. He was rejected because he had a problem with submitting to God. He lacked the discipline of submission, and he took matters into his own hands, and he did what he thought was best in his own eyes. So as a result, he forfeited his kingdom, he forfeited his future, he missed out, And I don't want us to be the people that miss out on what God has for us. I believe that, according to Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has good plans for our lives. That they are plans to prosper and not harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. He is a good, good father. And I believe that there's not any father that would want to see their kids go down a path of destruction. Or they want to see their kids lacking or do something wrong. No, they want their kids to succeed and excel. And I'm looking at some called and anointed and appointed and gifted people in this room. I mean, y'all are family. Y'all are friends. I, I know that you guys are called and that you're doing great things for the kingdom of God. But even in the midst of us doing great things, we have an adversary of our soul that has an initiative to kill, to steal, to destroy, to sift you as wheat. And the thing of it is, is that he will use circumstances. He will use other people. But he's cunning enough because when we're leaders and even in ministry, we, we can call out the blatant sin and we know that we're not going to do that. We know that we're not going to go back to our old lives. But the, Lord, but the Lord wants us to know today that the enemy will create a war within us. And it's not necessarily the, the, the outside influences that we struggle with. It's the enemy of ourselves. It's the enemy of ourselves. And how we respond and how we act and how we process and how we do things. Because Saul was his own worst enemy. If he would have just changed, if he would have just humbled himself, if he would have just did what he had the availability to do, but he didn't do it. And so I want us today to be mindful of our own selves. We are our own worst enemies. But we can be real with God. And we can have him change us. That's that's something I'm ever learning. It's because... I mean, I know I'm my biggest worst enemy. Like, I know that. I, I wouldn't be preaching to you today if I couldn't be real and honest with you in that. Because I know my flaws. I know my limitations in my mind. I know the things that I'm not comfortable with. I know the things that need changing. 
And I'm praying that God will change me every day. But if we get to the point that we are so deceived that we feel like we've arrived or we feel like we've made it or we feel like we, we're just the stuff and that, that if somebody would just come up to my level, they'd be somewhere. When we get to the place where we think we have it all together because even in serving God, whether we serve him a few days or a few years, we all mess up and we fall short of his glory. And how we respond to our failures, how we respond to the times that we fall down, whether we stay down or whether we get back up again, it determines the course of our life and our future. So don't forfeit like the enemy would have you do the future that you have in Christ Jesus. You get up, you serve God, you obey God. If you missed it, if you've blown it, that's okay because God's grace and his mercy is new every single day and he'll pick you up, he'll enable you to get up, he'll put you on the right path and the right road and then his Holy Spirit will convict you and guide you and help you to do what's right to get to the place that God's intended. So because Saul did what he felt, he forfeited what was intended and that was his kingdom to last. But it also set him up for future failure. In chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, we see that Saul, he continues to see some military successes, but moral or spiritual success is not something that we see in the remainder of Saul's life. Disobedience and a lack of honest repentance became a pattern in him. It could have been a one-time thing for him, but it was a pattern. And from this initial occurrence of disobedience that we read in our, our scripture text today, that trend was set. And if we really look at Saul's life, if you study his life, it was just a continual decline. Saul started here, but little by little by little by little, he declined. And he was unbearable. Everybody wanted to kill him because he was after God's chosen, but he was so intimidated and so insecure that he didn't realize what was even going on in his own house, in his own self. See, we see that trend of decline, and we see that Saul was destroyed by jealousy. He was ruled by insecurity. He was emotionally immature. He was corrupt in his character. He focused on self-preservation and self-promotion. He was given to self-serving obedience and doing it when it was good for him instead of God-honoring obedience. He valued the people's opinion over God's wisdom. These were things that ended up prevalent in Saul's life. He didn't start like that, but he finished like that. He didn't start with all of these flaws and all these evil things within himself. That's where he ended up because he didn't deal with the, with the failures. He didn't deal with the things as they came. And so it was a sad trend in Saul's life. And I think that we can learn so much from the good and the bad. We can learn so much from great leadership and we can learn so much from bad leadership. And Saul's leadership is the picture of the worst leadership like that we see in the Bible of the way that the king treats someone that was close to him. Someone that went and when Saul was distressed, David went and played his harp and he soothed the spirits and he was in Saul's house, but Saul knew that David got what he should have had. And so the way that he handled David was, it was very sad because I found in life that sometimes it's the people that we have the most confidence in or the people that we think are family or whatever, that those are the people that kind of let us down or the people that turn against us. But I'm here today to say that the Lord can mend even those things. I'm waiting on God to do that. I'm waiting on him to mend relationships and brokenness, and I'm waiting on him to just give people a moment where they can just realize that what they've constructed in their mind is not true. Because you, a stronghold only starts with just a little thought. And when you entertain that thought, Walls begin to build, strongholds begin to form, but we need to give no place to the enemy today. Tear down the strongholds. Every high thing, let it come down. Every stronghold, let it be broken in Jesus' name today. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, again, we see another act of disobedience and battle against the Amalekites. These were the instructions that were given. One day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel and when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, 
children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So here, it's really plain. The Lord's going to give you victory. You're going to go in. You're going to destroy all the people. You're going to destroy everything that they have. They're not going to be your enemy anymore. You have power over that. It's going to be a done deal. Battle won, victory given. This is what the Lord's going to do for you. But what happened here, it says that Saul slaughtered the Amalekites all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, which was the king, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless and of poor quality. So here, clear instructions from God, go destroy them. Here's Saul, I'm going to keep the king, and I'm going to keep the best of the land. I'm going to destroy everything that's worthless, everything that I don't want. We're going to come back, and we're going to live high. We're going to live mighty. I'm going to have this king here. In the response to what Saul did, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. So Samuel approaches Saul about what he's done. Saul gives the excuses. He says, but you know what? We're going to be spiritual in this. I, I didn't get this from me. I got this so that we could, we could offer the sacrifice to God. I know that you said not to keep the cattle, but I mean, hey, look, God can have a really nice offering today with what I want in this battle. So he tries to, you know, play it off here. But Samuel responded, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering, the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So again, Saul was rejected because he did right in his own eyes. He had clear instruction from God what he was supposed to do and how the victory was supposed to come. But Saul was not satisfied in just submitting to God's word. And in reading about this, I, I found out that to have another king of another nation, when you went and you conquered that nation, having the king and keeping him was like a trophy. So it was a continual reminder for Saul if he keeps this king and he's got him in captivity. On the days that Saul's feeling kind of bad about himself, he can go to wherever they're keeping this king and he can look at his trophy and be reminded of how good he is and how he led his people in victory. It was an ego booster. So he was going to have his ego boosted by keeping this king as just a reminder that, yes, he was top dog. And what the people kept, which was the best of the best, that was going to be the reminder to them that Saul led them in victory, that this is what they have because Saul was the king and Saul is great. So it was all about the perception of the people in Saul instead of Saul wanting to please God. And even in that, when Saul's trying to be spiritual, even if you really did intend for that to be a sacrifice to God, you would think that he would have gotten it in this first text that we read today, that he wasn't supposed to sacrifice then. And it wasn't sacrifice that God wanted now. It was just obedience to God that he was looking for. He just wanted Saul to obey his words. And I believe today that that is what the Lord is speaking to us, is that God wants us to be obedient to him. And I know that we get certain things in our minds and we, we view things a certain way and we think because we have experience in something or we think because we, we've done something before that we're safe in that and we can do that but if the Lord instructs you to go right but you go left there is a reason that he instructed you to go that way it may be that if you choose to go down path a that God is shielding you from things that you would encounter on path b because in path b you may have heartache you may encounter people that are going to stab you in the back and path b you might experience hurt that if you would have just obeyed God and went down path A, you would have never had to deal with. You see, if God was leading you from this stage, he would tell you to step down the steps, especially if it was a higher stage, because that was the process to get you down to the bottom. Because if you jump off of a high stage, chances are, if you're older like me, ha-ha again, it's okay, 
just want to make sure you guys are still with me. Hey, I, I realize I'm not as young as I used to be. When we were moving, I fell down the steps, and I hurt my ankle, and y'all can ask Tommy about that later. But if I would have been paying attention to what I was doing, I wouldn't have fallen. And if you're intentional about paying attention to what God is instructing you to do, if he tells you to go down the first step and then the second step, it might be because something is in your way. It might be because if you rush into something, you're going to jump off the cliff, you're going to jump off the side, and there's not going to be anything down there on the other side to catch you. I think today that we can look at just simple things and realize that God does everything for a purpose and he does everything for a reason. If he says move right, church, move right. If he says go left, go left. If he says to stop, stop. It may be that the car is getting ready to cross in front of you and they wouldn't have seen you anyway. God is leading his people. And obedience will result in blessing. Obedience will result in a place of us abiding in safety. Because God blesses us when we are obedient. And so Tommy, as you come and start playing, I think it was through Saul's life that he just compromised a little bit at a time. He didn't start good with the intention to finish bad. No one ever does. We start good with the intention to finish good. But because sometimes we compromise, and even in Saul's life as he did, he compromised just a little bit and just a little bit and just a little bit. That it was a downward spiral of just being destroyed by him, by his own self. And I, I really believe that Saul's outcome could have been different if he would have changed his attitude. Instead of having an attitude of haughtiness and, and self-preservation, if Saul would have just had an attitude of humility and repentance, it would have been different. And attitudes will affect our anointing. He was anointed to be king, but he was rejected to be king because of the attitudes that were inside of him. And my prayer today is that God would just show us who we are in light of himself. That when we stand before the mirror, so to speak, and we see ourselves, that we would not perceive ourselves as we want to perceive ourselves, but that we would perceive ourselves as God sees us. So that if we display these attitudes, if we display these things that are displeasing to him, that we would not just see the facade that we allow other people to see or we we put the mask on but that God would point that all out because our attitudes can affect our anointing and we know that without the anointing that yokes will not be broken that bondages will not be broken we need to be anointed for every work that God has called us to individually and collectively he would have repented I believe that it would have been different Church, if we're not careful, we can get trapped in cycles and patterns of behavior. And it's just one decision one time, but then it's another decision because we did it once and, you know, we, we're not as convicted as we were the first time, and we just spiral downward. But today, I'm just here to tell you that God's grace is sufficient and that when we fall, we don't have to stay down and we don't have to stay in a cycle of sin. I remember when I was a teenager, I was so on the fence about serving God. I knew right, but I wasn't doing right. And it just seemed like I, w I kept falling into these cycles of sin, and I would go to, like, youth conferences like Winterfest, and I would pray, and I would want God to change me. But until I really got serious about sacrificing what I wanted to get my freedom, I didn't get delivered until then because I kept going back to those patterns of behavior. I kept going back to those people. I, get, I kept going back to those things. And even though I said I wanted the patterns to be broken in my life, my actions didn't say it. But today, I pray that what God breaks in this place or what he breaks within us today, that it would be a pattern that is completely destroyed, that there is nothing to go back to. Because I declare that the future ahead of us as individuals, as us, as a church of the living God, that there are so many great things. There's so many victories to be won. There's so many battles to be won. But we need to set up ourselves or set ourselves up for victory. We need to set ourselves up for nothing less than triumph over our enemy. And the last thing I want to mention today before I call us to the altar is that if we look at the end of Saul's life, the last chapter of 1 Samuel, when Saul died, it was in a battle against the Philistines. And it says that Saul was injured, and because he was injured, he didn't want the Philistines to get him and to torture him 
and to disgrace him. So he asked his servant to kill him, and the servant refused. So Saul fell on his own sword. But in the next chapter, in 2 Samuel, it says that he was killed by an Amalekite. And so I know that there are some discrepancies in that story there, whether it was the account of the Amalekite to try to make himself look good like he killed Saul to David, or whether or not Saul fell on his own sword and it killed him instantly. Regardless of the details in that, there are two enemies that are represented in the account of that. First, the battle of the Philistines. They were against the Philistines, and the Amalekite just happened to be there to give the account to David. But Philistine represents materialism. Amalekite represents the flesh. Saul was focused on building his kingdom, getting what he could, the materialistic things, driven by the flesh, and ultimately that is what killed him. He was represented in the first act of disobedience and the second act of disobedience. And at the end of his life, that's what he was destroyed by. So today, I don't want us to be destroyed by the things that we could have conquered a long time ago. It's time for us to conquer the insecurities. It's time for us to conquer the fears. It's time for us to conquer whatever it is that is holding us back from obeying God. Because we need to follow after him wholeheartedly. Not pass the buck, not make excuses, not try to reason away why we do what we do, but just be obedient, even under pressure, even when people have opinions about it. If we'll obey God, I promise it'll be okay. And when you obey God, people may not like it. People may come against you for it. People may think that you've missed something. Because sometimes obedience looks like taking the little thing over the big thing. Sometimes obedience is taking something that may be small and it may seem insignificant. And it may be nothing that anyone else wants. But you take it up because that's what God wants you to do. And you take it up and it's through that act of obedience that God is able to just open you up to new experiences. He's able to increase your anointing. He's able to get you to a place that you'll learn and you'll grow and you'll flourish. And he will plant you. And you will be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of living water unmovable, unshakable with a foundation that is in him. Don't be moved by what you feel today. Don't be moved. Don't be led by what you feel. But there's a future in front of you. And I declare today by the spirit of the Lord that you will go where God has intended for you to go. Will you stand today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, I thank you that you give us power to overcome, that you give us power to walk in your way, Lord, to obey you. Lord, we're thankful today that your word is able, Lord, to just touch us in the deepest place of who we are. And God, I just pray right now, Lord, that before we ever come to the altar, that we would make a decision to be real with ourselves today and to be real with you. Because, God, I am no one's judge here today. Lord, and I I have preached to myself just as, as I have preached to every person in this room. God, because I know that I am human and I know that I mess up and I know that I fall down and I know that I need to strive every day to be more like you. So, God, I pray that there would be nothing but love felt in this room. Love from the Father that wants us to draw closer. Love from our brothers and sisters that we want to see each other do well. We want to see each other go to the places you've called us to go and do the things that you have called us to do. God, let there just be a love that saturates this building. And Lord, I pray, God, that it would just be a freeing love. Because, Lord, your word says that perfect love casts out all fears. And, Lord, where there have been fears today, God, I pray that it would just be covered by love. I pray, God, that where there have been reasonings and doubt and and just us trying to figure out how we could be obedient. God, I pray today that we would count the cost of our disobedience more than we count the cost of what we're sacrificing. Because the enemy will show us what we think we're missing out on, but he'll never show us the result of the decisions that we make that are against you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just search us and that you would know us. God, even as David and his humility, God, David wasn't a perfect king that was after Saul, 
David blew it, but he knew the importance of just humbling himself before you and asking you to search him. God, and I just thank you today that your love is enough, your grace is enough, your mercy is enough. Lord, to set us on the right path, that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus today, because when we're in Christ Jesus, the old has passed away and all things become new. Lord, we just thank you today for drawing us by your spirit and for working in us that we may be who you've called us to be in Jesus' name. This morning, if you will, I just want to invite you to find a place to pray. Just take a few moments with God, whether it's at your seat, whether it's at the altar, just to really pray and ask the Lord to help you to be obedient, to help you to follow Him, to help you to be bold in battle, to be bold in your calling, to be bold even when you're intimidated, but also that he would search you so that if there's any attitude like Saul had. Remember, Saul was ruled by insecurity. He had corrupt character. He was emotionally unstable. He was emotionally immature. It was what was in Saul that caused Saul to be defeated. And so if you'll just find a place of prayer today and just pray that if there's anything in you, if there's any of these areas that you know that the enemy's attacking you in or you know that you are weak in, just be real and honest with God. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell anybody else. You just tell God. And I believe that the Lord will help you. If you need deliverance from something today, if you need victory over a circumstance, if there's somebody that you need to forgive, forgiveness can be something that is so liberating but binds us so strong. Whether it's a family member that abandoned you or someone that's talked about you or done you wrong or anger that you have in your heart because of the way that someone has treated you, anything that can be a hindrance, the Lord can take that today and he can replace it. He can make your heart new. He can give you a new perspective and you don't have to be bound to anything in this place today. God, we thank you that you give us the power to overcome. And Lord, I thank you today, Lord, that as we humble ourselves before you and we recognize that in our own humanness and our own insecurities and our own lack, our own wisdom, Lord, that doesn't see past, present, and future like you do, God, we just lay all of that down before you today. Lord, you see us and you know us. Lord, there's no facade that we can put up. There's no mask that we can put on with you. Lord, for your word says that you know the number of hairs that are on our head. Lord, you know every freckle that we have. You know everything about us. And Lord, there's nothing that we can hide from you today. So we choose not to hide. But Lord, in your presence, we can become undone. In your presence, we can just be real. And Lord, we can say, God, here we are. We're broken. We're a mess. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to get out of the funk that we're in. We don't know how to get to a place of victory, but God, you do. And that's why we surrender to you today. That's why we lay down our feelings so that we're not led by things that are fleeting. But God, we want to be led by you. We want to be led by your word, and we want to be led by your voice. God, we want to be stable people. We want to be people that have the right foundation. We want to be people, God, that will stand and do and fight and believe and be your hands and feet extended on the earth. And God, we can be hindered by our own selves. And so, God, right now, I just pray that you would even forgive me. Lord, I repent today. Lord, of the things in my heart, God, that are displeasing to you. God, I pray that everything in me that does not belong, God, that you would just pluck it up right now. Lord, that it wouldn't take root in my heart and in my life. God, that bitterness wouldn't take root. God, that I would not stand back idle when you're calling me deeper or you're calling me to do something. God, I pray that you would just take the Ashton out of me, that you would take my nature and how I am, and the way that I respond to things and people. And Lord, that you would replace it with the way that you do things, and the way that you respond to things. Because God, I know that I could be my, my own worst enemy. God, I know that I can be held back by my attitudes, and the things I don't feel comfortable with. 
But God, I know today you're not about my comfort. Because if I was in a place of comfort, if I stayed comfortable, it may cost me eternity. Lord, if I stay comfortable, it may cost someone else's life that I could touch and make a difference in. But they spend the rest of their life in hell because I just wanted to be comfortable and I wanted to do what I felt was best. God, I pray today that you would take these ideas and these desires that are selfish, that are immature, that are ungodly. And Lord, that you would just break them out of me today. That you would break my heart to be like you, to love like you. Lord, to forgive like you, oh God. Lord, that I wouldn't be the person I I perceive myself to be, Lord, and just have my own self-deceived, but God, that I would be real, that I would be real. God, let us be real in this place today. God, let us have a pursuit of you and a hunger for you and a desire for you like we've never had before. God, we just want you today. We just want you. We just want you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We just want you. We just want you, God. We just want you, God. We just want you. We give ourselves to you today. God, I pray that this time would just be a time of recommitment to you. A recommitment of saying yes. A recommitment of recognizing that our lives are not our own. But God, that you've bought us with a price. You've purchased us with your blood. And because of that, we give back to you today. God, we thank you that the plans are good. And Lord, I just pray a special protection and a hedge around every person that is here, that you would just shield them, that you would protect them, that you would cause them to go forward in strength and in peace, Lord, that their joy would be full, that they would be revived in their spirits today. God, that when they leave to face the week, that they would just have the confidence of the Lord, that whatever stands before them cannot compare to the power that is in them that whatever stands before them cannot compare to the power of heaven, Lord, that is standing behind them. Lord, I believe today that we have warring angels that are encamped around us because your word says it. And Lord, we are shielded by you. We are shielded by warring angels. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. God, I just, I feel like somebody needs that assurance today that the weapon that is formed will not prosper. You're not going to be destroyed by that thing. You're not going to be destroyed by yourself. The weapon will not prosper in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. It will not prosper.